I'm sure for many of us, these past few days have been a roller coaster of emotions. You felt the fear of getting COVID in this new wave. You felt anxious of how your livelihood and planned events will be affected. You felt uncertain of what lies ahead. Perhaps frustration that this year feels very much like last year with no improvements. Perhaps you felt disappointed that hopes and plans will not come to fruition for quite a long time. Panic has set in for some of you as you can't find medicines that you need. Frustration that needed test kits are unavailable. And every little cough, sore throat, and nasal congestion has you wondering if you've contracted the COVID virus, but unsure thinking if you simply have a winter cold or seasonal allergies. However, you can't be sure because you can't get tested and you're impatiently waiting for your test results, which are taking double the promised time because labs are overwhelmed. Perhaps many of you, like me, have simply felt tired and overwhelmed with all the fast-moving events and developments in a week's time that have left you panicked and bewildered. What has happened in this new year in which I had such high hopes would be a better year than the last, but it certainly isn't starting off any better a roller coaster of emotions for sure. My friends, in these times of great uncertainty, when you may feel anxious, overwhelmed, worried, and fearful, let us look to the Scriptures for comfort, peace, and a settled heart. In times of struggles and fear, we often turn to the book of Psalms and are comforted by its words. Why? Because the Psalms are often written when mankind realizes he can no longer do it by himself and seeks God's guidance and assurance. So let's take a look at one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 27. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the book of Psalms as we look at chapter 27, verses 1 to 14. And from this psalm, I want to draw out three principles to teach us how to dispel our fears and minimize our anxieties. Psalm chapter 27, I read now verses 1 to 3. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumble and fell. Though an army may encamp around me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. This psalm of David has him crying out to the Lord during a moment in his life of great fear, uncertainty, and hopelessness. We are not sure of the exact situation David was in, but certainly he was very afraid for his life. But in these first three verses of the psalm, he places his trust and confidence in the person of God, which drives away his fears and anxieties. But what specifically about God does David place his confidence, which dispels his fears and anxious thoughts? Well, in verse 1, we read three things that David expresses great confidence in the Lord in. They are that the Lord is His light, His salvation, and His strength. And because of these realities, David doesn't have to be afraid. Now, why place confidence in these three things? Let's take a closer look. First, light signifies understanding and truth. David is saying, I understand my God. I know the truth of how He operates and who He is. And there is confidence that comes with understanding and the knowledge of truth. For example, people can speak with confidence when they're absolutely sure of something. If I were to ask you now to explain differential equations or the square root of 72 in front of a thousand mathematicians, even if you are a seasoned speaker, 
you may find it very difficult to explain these concepts with clarity because you are unsure of these concepts. Certainly, you will not be confident in your answer, and most likely, you will be fearful in front of these people. But if I ask you to explain that one plus one equals two to the same group of a thousand mathematicians, you would have no problems because you understand the concept and you know the truth without a doubt of the answer that one plus one equals two. It is the same for David when he says, the Lord is my light. He understands the heart of God. He knows how God operates as God has revealed Himself. That's why it's essential that as Christians we understand our faith, that we know who God is, that we know whom we believe, what we believe, and why we believe what we believe. Because sometimes, during times of anxieties and worries, we wonder if God knows what He's doing. We wonder if He loves us or not. We wonder if He cares or not. We wonder if He knows what we're going through. And the answer, of course, is He does. Because the omniscient and omnipresent God, who loves us unconditionally, knows what we're going through. He knows how difficult these past few days have been for you. And our understanding of who God is and how He operates helps us when we are worried or anxious. In the hymn, Does Jesus Care? Frank Grafe expresses this principle. He writes in the first verse, Does Jesus care when my heart is pained too deeply for mirth or song? As the burdens press and the cares distress and the way grows weary and long. And then he comes to the chorus and declares, Oh, yes, He cares. I know He cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary, the long nights dreary, I know my Savior cares. Then he writes in verse 2, Does Jesus care when my way is dark with a nameless dread and fear? As the daylight fades into deep night shades, does He care enough to be near? And again, he declares in the chorus, Oh, yes, He cares. I know He cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary, the long nights dreary, I know my Savior cares. My friends, this is how understanding God and the truth of who He is helped David and helps us overcome our worries and fears because we can declare that our God cares for us. Now, the second thing that David placed total confidence in to dispel his fears and worries is in his salvation. You see, probably one of the biggest fears we as humans fear is the fear of death or dying. That's why people were rightfully afraid of catching the COVID virus when it was first announced in the world, because the first iteration of it and some subsequent variants of it had a mortality rate higher than the common flu. Fear of death and dying is a major concern for many of us. However, for the Christian, there really is no need to fear death. There should be a big difference in the attitude and approach of a Christian who faces the prospects of death versus a non-Christian. You see, for the Christian, well, there is sadness because loved ones will be missed. There should be a wonderful realization that we'll meet each other again in heaven and even a more wonderful realization of spending eternity in heaven with our Savior. For the unbeliever, there is no hope, only the prospects of eternal separation from God in hell forever. So in that case, death is indeed something to be afraid of. Therefore, as Christians, our attitude towards death is not one of fear, but of anticipation. For the focus is not on our departure from this world, 
but on our arrival in the presence of our King and Savior in glory. You know, there are Christians of a certain tribe in Africa who never say of their dead, those who die in the Lord, or that they have departed. Speaking, as it were, from the vantage point of heaven, they triumphantly and joyously say of the passing of a believer, they have arrived. What joy, even in sorrow, is ours when we say of our loved ones who enter life eternal through trusting Jesus as Savior, absent from the body, at home, present with the Lord. Where is the fear and anxiety in that? One of my favorite stories is of a Scottish soldier who was badly wounded. A surgeon said to him, Soldier, I must operate right away. I think I ought to tell you that you have one chance in a hundred to come through the operation and survive. Have you any last words or anything to say? The brave soldier said, No, doctor, get on with the operation. All is well with my soul. Whichever side I come out on, there will be a welcome for me. If I come through the operation and survive, my mother will welcome me. If I don't, Jesus will welcome me. These are stories of people with the same attitude that David had to dispel his fear. The Lord is my salvation. His salvation was secured so he didn't fear the worst-case scenario in his life, which was possible death. Now, please note that that doesn't mean he wanted to die or would not try to live, but it just meant that he didn't live in panicked fear because of the prospect of death. When we place our trust in Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, then we have eternal security, which should bring about great peace in our hearts. Sadly, many people fear that they can lose their salvation. But if we truly know and understand our Christian faith and what the Bible teaches, we realize that we will never lose our salvation as promised by God. Now, the third thing that David placed his confidence in is in the Lord as his stronghold or strength in life. You see, David sees God as a fortress that does not move and cannot be breached or destroyed. There's a song we often sing, a mighty fortress is our God. And the second line is, a bulwark never failing. Did you ever stop from singing and ask yourself the question, what is a bulwark? Well, a bulwark is an ancient term that means a defensive wall, and never failing means it does not break. Therefore, this song, which we loudly sing, proclaims, a mighty fortress is our God because He is a defensive wall that does not break. Isn't that a wonderful truth? If we really believe this truth as David does, then it becomes our confidence to dispel our fears and anxieties. Our God is a mighty fortress. His strength can never be overcome. I like the story of a sailor in a shipwreck who was thrown upon a rock which he clung onto in great danger until the tide went down. Later, a friend asked him, Jim, did you shake with fear when you were hanging on to that rock? The sailor replied, yes, I was very afraid, but the rock didn't move. It's a significant reply. You see, we may be afraid, but if we cling to the rock that does not move, then we can find confidence in that. Christ is the rock of ages, the rock that does not move. That means while we may fear what's happening around us, our confidence is in the fact that we cling to a God that cannot be moved and cannot be overcome. Can we proclaim that in our lives? The Lord is the strength of my life, and under His protection, 
we will come out okay because the challenge of our lives do not affect Him. When combining these three bases of David's confidence and trust, light, salvation, and stronghold, he declares, I will not be afraid. David states three times, there is nothing to fear. But does that mean his problems went away just because he declared he's not afraid? No, of course not. But it showed that the peace and serenity of his life is not controlled by the circumstances he experienced or was going through. But that is an important lesson for us to remember. Peace, calmness, and serenity in one's heart should not be conditioned on the circumstances of life, but on the truth of who God is and what He can do for us. And here is our first biblical principle number one. Biblical principle number one. A peace that removes fears is not dependent on circumstances, but based on our confidence in who God is and what He can do for us. A peace that removes fears is not dependent on circumstances, but based on our confidence in who God is and what He can do for us. My friends, this is a peace that truly passes all understanding, as it is a peace that the world does not understand. For the world, peace and serenity is when problems are no longer present or when things are all going well. But you and I know that rarely happens in life. That's why there is often no peace in this world. But there can be peace and serenity even when the storms of life rage all around us, and it has nothing to do with forced or temporary inner peace from being calm or meditation, but it has everything to do with our trust in the person of God Almighty. So whom and what shall the believer fear? And the answer of the psalmist is emphatically, no one. In fact, in response to this question, David spoke of the enemies who came against him in verses 2 and 3. When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident." Even if David's enemies were many and harassed him, he would remain confident in the Lord because of those three things he mentioned in verse 1. The Lord is His light, His salvation, and His stronghold. Those truths are what moved his heart and gave him peace, serenity, and security in spite of the circumstances he was experiencing. And that's why men and women of faith throughout church history who endured great persecution and difficulties were able to persevere and to be shining testimonies for Jesus Christ because the focus of their hearts was in a person and not on the circumstances they encountered. I like the story of a man who entered a police station one evening to pay a parking fine. He paid the money and was about to leave when he saw a lady sitting on a bench in a corner absorbed in her book. What's the trouble? Is there anything I can do? The man asked her. No, thank you, she said. You see, I was sitting all alone at home reading this scary novel, and I got so scared reading my book that I came down here to the police station to finish it under police protection. What a wonderful picture of where our confidence should be placed in. My friends, we are under the protection of Almighty God and do not have to fear. Look with me now at verses 4 to 6. One thing I've desired of the Lord, that will I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord 
all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. For in the time of trouble, He shall hide me in His pavilion. In the secret place of His tabernacle, He shall hide me. He shall set me high above a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in His tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. In these wonderful verses, we see David's expression of longing to be in the presence of the Lord and to be in intimate fellowship with Him. That intense desire to enjoy the beauty of being in God's presence and to simply have a connection and conversation with the Lord reflects David's heart. His focus amid trying and difficult times is on the eternal things of life and not on the temporal. His focus and heart were not on the life that he lived on earth, but on the life to come when he would spend eternity with the Lord. My friends, fears, anxieties, and a feeling of being overwhelmed will definitely be on our minds when we focus on the temporary and temporal things because hope is lost as we live in a sinful world with evil all around us and destruction we see. But when we focus on the eternal with a heavenly mindset, it lifts us up because there is hope. Hope in a new heaven and a new earth, free of sin and its consequences a place where there's no tears, only complete joy in God's presence. So, for example, in this pandemic, we've been introduced to the Greek alphabet through the many viral variants of the COVID-19 virus, from the Alpha variant to the Gamma, Delta variants to now the Omicron variant. Remember, there are 24 letters in the Greek alphabet. When we think about what is to come from a temporary, temporal standpoint, the outlook isn't great and it gets depressing. What comes after Omicron and Delta, we begin to wonder. Or for some, we wait with worried anticipation every day at 4 p.m. when the Department of Health or DOH releases the information for how many new daily COVID cases there have been for that day. And as the numbers increase exponentially, our depression, worries, and anxiety go up with it. But my friends, what if we stop focusing on the troublesome news of the day? and instead read and think about the life that awaits us? What if instead of being worried about what may come in the days ahead, we instead focus on reading the Bible and be reminded of what a wonderful world awaits us when this world, racked with sin and sinful problems, is no longer our home, as Revelations 21 and 22 tells us. I'm sure it will surely bring a smile to our face and an encouragement to our hearts as we can look forward to something wonderfully true. Because what we think about and focus on will be at the forefront of our minds. And the more we think about these problems, the more we will worry about them. But if instead we refocus on the truth of what awaits us, like David does, we will be encouraged to press on. You know, in my exercises, I put rewards as motivation to push through my boredom and my desire to give up. So let's say if I'm on the treadmill for an hour... My reward at the end of those 60 minutes is a nice, cold, refreshing juice or a savory snack I'm craving. Because at the 30-minute or the 40-minute mark, when I'm so tired and I want to give up, I keep reminding myself of the amazing reward I will get if I finish the 60 minutes. Or when I'm cycling and I think about having to wake up at 5 a.m. and having to bike three or four hours with lots of uphills, instead of focusing on the pain and tiredness, 
I focus on the amazing breakfast or brunch that awaits me at my destination. And to justify the wonderful caloric intake later, I need to burn those calories now on these hard uphills. You see, if I don't focus on the things which I can look forward to, I will quickly give up because the present pain isn't worth it and because, quite honestly, in my exercise, looking good isn't one of my motivations. It's the motivation to be able to eat more. So focusing on the future goals versus the present pain is what pushes us to press on even amidst challenging and difficult times. Again, in life it is true. When we focus on the temporary physical things of our lives, we will definitely fear more and worry more because there are simply too many things we have absolutely no control over. So we fear our businesses will fail if the future economic outlook isn't great. We fear if we can provide for our family or not. We fear of what the future has in store for our college and professional life. We fear who we will marry. We fear if we will not marry. We fear for our children. We fear for their future life partner. We fear if they will have a good career or not. We fear for our grandchildren. So much to worry about of which we have no control over. David has but one focus in his life, and that was striving to have an intimate communion and fellowship with the Lord. He does not worry about things of which he has no control over. Of course, that's not to say that we forget all of our earthly responsibilities and not live in reality. But it is to have an attitude and realization that does not seek the riches of this world and live for the purpose of this world, but instead a desire to lay up treasures in heaven and to live for God's glory. So if our focus is on communing with the Lord instead of the worries of which we have no control over, and we are intimately in fellowship with the Lord, then in verse 5, the psalmist writes that in troubled times, we will find refuge and protection in the Lord. You see, the idea of hiding place is reiterated in this verse as if to say we are completely hidden and safe from whoever and whatever is troubling us or out to get us. And being set high above my enemies where they can't get to me is a picture of total security and assurance of safety. But how do we get up on that high hill far above all of my troubles and enemies? The only way to get there is to have an intimate fellowship and communion with our Lord. There is no better place to be when the storms of life are raging than to be in the presence of our Lord, in fellowship with Him, brought into His very presence, His very throne of grace. As the book of Hebrew tells us, we can approach boldly the throne of grace. There is an open invitation and full access for those who are in relationship with Jesus. My friends, it is in the presence of God where we find refuge, our hiding place, and our source of peace. There is no safer place than in the hands of Almighty God. You and I are looking for security, right? That is what everyone wants. Full protection from evil, assured protection from harm, surefire protection from troubles, guaranteed protection from sickness. If there is something or someone that can absolutely guarantee our security, we will pay it, do it, and wear it. For example, hypothetically, if chanting the words, I'm so ugly and I'm so stupid, a hundred times a day will protect you from all harm for that day, I'm sure you and I would do it, however ridiculous. If swallowing a hundred vitamins the size of a walnut every day is the medicine that cured you from all of your sicknesses, including cancer, MS, Alzheimer's, dementia, and ALS, 
If it was guaranteed to cure, we would all do it, however difficult. If wearing a neon green hat like the Mad Hatter and wearing a fur coat in tropical weather would guarantee that you would not get COVID, you and I would wear it, however silly we look. We are looking for guarantee and security, and we will do all that it takes to get it. Thankfully, we don't have to do all of these ridiculous things, but the Bible tells us that only in an intimate relationship with Christ will you find a guarantee of true peace and security. As someone wrote, what is true peace? Peace that passes our comprehension is not a quality of life that excludes us from the stresses and strains of human society. It is not a sheltered withdrawal from the wrongs that rack our world, nor is it a secluded existence in which we are cut off from the disasters and conflicts of our generations. The place of peace of which God our Father calls us is that intimate inner acquaintance with Himself, whereby we come to know so assuredly, O Father, You are here and all is well. O God, You are here and all is well. David surely had an intimate relationship with God, which gave him that guaranteed security. What about us? Our second biblical principle is this, number two. Security and assurance are found in a relationship with the Lord, focusing on the eternal rather than the temporary. Security and assurance are found in a relationship with the Lord, focusing on the eternal rather than the temporary. So, my friends, in these troubled times, instead of only reading and watching the news and worried about numbers, turn off the news and open your Bibles. Spend time with Him in quietness. And so you can also say, Oh God, You are here. You are very present and all is well. When we focus on fearful things, we will naturally begin to panic. But our actions reflect the God we trust to the rest of the world. Remember, as followers of Jesus Christ, our true security and assurance is found in our walk with Christ, focusing on the eternal rather than temporary, so that we can proclaim to the world, Oh God, You are here. All is well. Let's look now at verses 7 to 12. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, Seek my face, my heart said to you, Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. In verses 7 to 12, David prayed earnestly and with some anxiety for help from the Lord. It shows vividly that in our times of fear, anxieties, and when we simply feel overwhelmed, we can cry out to God and tell Him our problems. How many of you really earnestly prayed to God this week with a feeling of helplessness as you heard countless friends and family members test positive for COVID? Did you simply tell them that you would pray for them but never did? Or did you actually stop what you were doing and pray that God's healing hand would be upon them and that your worries and fears would be alleviated? David asked the Lord not to forsake him since he was in great need and because God had instructed the righteous to pray, to seek his face, and that's what David was doing. And that which God commands, he will not refuse to help. 
In verse 10, we see that David's prayer was strengthened by his knowledge that the Lord would not forsake him, even if his parents did, which of course was unlikely. So even more unlikely would the Lord not intervene in the prayer appeals of his children. In verse 11, he asked God to teach him his ways. David was praying for God's will and how to resolve the issues that lay before him. It is another reminder to us that when we pray, we pray for God's will in all things. My friends, let me remind you, a pastor's prayer is not more effective than yours. We all have equal access before God through Jesus Christ. It's just that many of us have so many excuses for why we don't pray or why we don't pray more. We think it is the job of the pastor to pray. No, it is not. If you have a need, then you bring it before the Lord. If you aren't going to pray for yourself or your family or your concern, if the matter isn't important enough for you to stop what you're doing and to spend time in prayer, why would you expect that God would answer your prayer requests through others for you? Think about it. As a young child, my parents showed me by example to pray for little things, like for God's protection and safety as we departed our house to travel even for a short distance. It's something that Cindy and I have tried to instill in our own children. We taught our children that they can pray for even the smallest of things, like parking at the mall, because we wanted to teach them that they can come to the Lord with any request at any time. One day as we were driving to the mall and we approached the parking lot, I asked Andrew to pray that we would be able to find a parking space. But Andrew replied, Daddy, look, we don't need to pray. I see lots of empty parking spaces. So why do we need to pray? I was caught a bit off guard. But then I said, well, Andrew, we can still pray, but this time we can thank God for all of the parking spaces available. You see, we don't pray to God only if we have a need. It is a conversation with Him. And we also can pray when we thank Him for what blessings and grace He has shown us. When we pray, we have access to the world's greatest power, and He invites us to approach Him and pray. Remember what Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 to 7 says. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Here, the Apostle Paul writes that we as Christians should not worry. The verb is in the imperative. It's a command. Do not worry about anything. Be anxious for nothing. The charge is not to worry. In fact, Matthew chapter 6 teaches that when we worry, it means we really don't trust in God. It means that our God isn't really able to help us with our problems. If there is something that is of great concern and worry, the solution is to pray and entrust it to God, bringing before the throne of grace our concerns, letting our requests be made known to God in prayer and trusting Him enough to turn over the issues of our lives and the burdens of our lives to Him. Have you ever experienced it, my friends, when your boss gives you a responsibility or your parents give you a responsibility or a task, and they say, I entrust this to you, I trust you to be able to do it well. But then every 30 minutes, he or she asks you if you've done it and in fact tells you how you should do it, even if you're already on it. How does it make you feel? You feel that your boss, your parents don't trust you. You simply want to give it back to them, that task, and say, if you don't trust me, then you do it yourself. 
I'm sure it annoys you as it does me. Because if you trust me to handle the responsibility and you keep following up and telling me how to do it, then you really don't trust me. Let me do it if you ask me to do it. But in the same way, that's how we deal with God. When we pray, we're supposed to entrust the problem to Him to let Him deal with it. But if you continue to worry about it all the time and even try to solve it in your own way, then God may say, then you handle the problems and I give it back to you. You see, God tells us, if you give me your problems and burdens in prayer, let me handle it and go relax. I like the story told of the driver of an ox wagon who was on his way to the market when he overtook an old man carrying a heavy load on his back. Taking compassion on him, the driver invited the old man to ride in the back of his wagon. The old man accepted gratefully. After a few minutes, the driver turned to see how the man was doing. To his surprise, he found the old man still straining under the heavy weight of his heavy load, for he had not taken off the burden off his shoulder while riding in the back of the wagon. Sadly, this is a picture of how many of us Christians are like. We pray and we give to the Lord our burdens, supposedly, but we really have not unloaded our burdens. My friends, have you unloaded your burdens of the worries of your life to our Lord? This is one of those life lessons you and I need to learn today. The Lord invites us to place our burdens upon Him. When we do so, we remove the burdens off our back and put it upon the Lord so that we can relax. You know, there was a time this week when I felt so overwhelmed with the stresses of the pastorate. I was getting 30 messages an hour. I was chatting with about 20 different people on various messaging apps on a wide variety of concerns. Two-thirds of our staff seemingly were dealing with COVID issues in their families, so they were unavailable. We had our own family issues. There was the death of a beloved church member. We were trying to figure out how to officiate and put on an upcoming wedding. And on top of that, preparing for the weekend message and other talks. I finally said, Lord, I don't think I can take this anymore. So I stopped what I was doing, walked away from everything, and just prayed. Lord, you deal with these issues. I can't do it in my own power. I just don't have the emotional, spiritual, and physical energy to press on. Lord, I give up. And you know, as I prayed, I felt a great burden lifted, as if the Lord told me, that's right, Stephen, give it to me. You can't do it in your own power. That's why you come to me in prayer. In fact, you should have come to me earlier. I've been waiting for you to unload your burdens on me. You see, even pastors forget to pray. I was so busy trying to deal with the problems in my own life through my own powers that I forgot to pray. My friends, is your life marked by prayer before you try something else? It's often because we try everything else that gets us so worried when we don't have to be. We ask for everyone's opinion and advice before that of God. Turning to Him in prayer is often the last thing we do. Why? Especially when we can present to the God of the universe our request and need. There is an invitation from our Lord to dump our problems on Him. And when we pray, what happens? Philippians 4, 7 says, the peace of God will fill your worried soul. The peace from God is an inner tranquility that comes out of a believer's close walk with God in prayer. It doesn't mean you won't have problems, but you just know everything is going to be okay because God has everything under control. 
Here's our third biblical principle, number three. Prayer calms the anxious heart as we place our troubles and burdens on Almighty God who encourages us to do so. Prayer calms the anxious heart as we place our troubles and burdens on Almighty God who encourages us to do so. That last part is important because we do not weary or bother God when we pray. There's an open invitation from our Lord for us to bring all of our prayer requests to Him. It's not like we're bothering Him. It's not like we're bothering our parents or people who don't have time for us. The Almighty God is eagerly and happily waiting for us to come to Him in prayer. In fact, when we pray, it is a sign of our faith. You see, in times of fear and distress, we are to seek God's protection and intercession in prayer and to leave the results of the prayer to God by faith. It has been said, the only known cure for fear is faith. And how much more faith can you demonstrate than by getting down on your knees and asking by faith for God's assurance in prayer? Finally, look at verses 13 and 14. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. At the end of this psalm, David's confidence in the Lord is apparent. He rejoiced in the prospect of waiting for the Lord in the midst of all of his troubles. David was confident that he would survive and remain to see God's blessings. Therefore, he strengthened himself to wait on the Lord's deliverance in a time of troubles. He was no longer fearful. He was no longer worried or anxious. My friends, what a wonderful psalm of freedom from fear, panic, anxiousness, and feeling overwhelmed. As the world marches towards greater uncertainties and our lives will be filled with worries, let's go back to God's assuring words and meditate on it. Let's rid our lives of that feeling of being overwhelmed, anxious, fearful, hopeless, and transform it to a life of joy, peace, and contentment, realizing that if God is here with us, then all is well. And so remember and apply these three biblical principles of trust from this psalm. Number one, a peace that removes fears is not dependent on circumstances, but based on our confidence in who God is and what He can do for us. Number two, security and assurance are found in a relationship with the Lord, focusing on the eternal rather than the temporary. Number three, prayer calms the anxious heart as we place our troubles and burdens on Almighty God, who encourages us to do so. My friends, in these troubled times, with wars, natural disasters, diseases, financial uncertainties, and personal fear and apprehension, may we continue to pray and set our sights on Almighty God, our mighty fortress, and amidst the storms of life, cling to the rock of ages, which does not move. May God bless you and your family during these challenging times. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for this wonderful psalm, a psalm that reminds us that as we focus on You, we can fear and worry less. But Lord, I acknowledge that there are many, including myself, who may seemingly feel overwhelmed and worried and anxious in these challenging times. May the Spirit of God calm our hearts and remind us that the Almighty God watches over us and invites us to unload our burdens upon You. Thank You, Lord, for being our burden-bearer so that we can relax. Thank You, Lord, for being the one who holds the future in Your hands so that we don't have to worry about what the future will hold. 
I pray that the truths of Scripture will indwell everyone who hears this message and we can apply these principles so that we can find peace and serenity focused on you. Bless your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.